My name is Jasmine Nicole, and you are tuned in to Seasoned Crime. This is the podcast where you are going to hear a story about a minority. Each story that I tell in this podcast, in one way or another, will cover someone who falls into the category where their race, age, their gender, sexual orientation, religion, ethnicity, and all other characteristics fall within a category where they had to be amended into the Constitution. True crime happens to everyone, everywhere. Yet most of the time, the only cases that really get highlighted are the ones that fall into the majority. This is the podcast of the underdogs, those that get left in the shadows. We are another week down. So I've mentioned on here before that I live in Texas, the Dallas area to be exact. And as of today, we are at 104 degrees. It is literally hell outside. Like, this is the heat that makes you not even want to go outside. And I am a fan of summer. I'm a summer girl. I love the sun. I love being out in it. But this ain't it. Okay? Seeing that it's only the beginning of June, I can't even imagine what the rest of the summer is about to be like. Other than that, though, it's been a pretty low-key week for me, which I can truly appreciate. It's barely summer, but I feel like I've had so much going on, and with an upcoming move, I appreciate all the peace and uneventful time that I can get. So without any further delays, let's go ahead and get into the reason why everybody's here today. Let's talk crime. For today's story, I pulled it from everyone's favorite true crime channel, Oxygen. And this was also an episode of Dateline, Secrets Uncovered. Today, I'm going to tell you about an attorney who was murdered in her own law office. Sit down and get ready, because I am about to tell you what happened to Chiquita Tate. Growing up as one out of seven siblings, there was always something going on in Chiquita's home. She was raised by her grandmother in an impoverished area of Louisiana. From an early age, Chiquita was very smart and very driven. She was the first person in her family to attend college. She went to Southern University Law Center in Baton Rouge, and she clerked at a local law firm while she studied for the bar exam. And she would end up passing the bar on her very first try. Within just a few years of her passing the bar exam, Chiquita became a rising defense attorney. She won a $500,000 jury verdict, opened up her own law firm in an office just off the Mississippi River, and she became known by her peers as a force in court. Her career was going great, and her love life, it just added to her come up. In 2008, Shakita married a contractor named Greg Davis. February 19th of 2009, Chiquita didn't show up at home. Her husband Greg was worried because he knew that she was preparing for an upcoming double murder trial, so he figured that maybe she just got caught up on the job. It was just really weird that she wasn't answering any of his repeated calls. He fell asleep on the couch and woke up the next morning, and there was still no sign of Chiquita. He got in the car and he drove to her office, however, 
He didn't have a badge in order to access the building and she still wasn't answering. So he called 911. He told the operator that he needed an officer to come out and do a welfare check since he couldn't get inside the building. The cops arrive about 7 a.m. and by then Greg and a few other family members of Chiquita's family were waiting to see what had happened. What was going on? Why wasn't she answering her phone? Greg was described as frantic, even hyperventilating at some point. But the officers decided that for the safety of everyone, it would be best if they waited outside while the police went first to scope out the area. The officer went into the building, and as he was searching the area, he literally stumbled upon the body of Chiquita. She was laid out on the floor of her office with a total of 43 stab wounds. She had a broken nail as well, which looked like she had tried to fight off her attacker, and clutched in her hands were pieces of black hair. The family was still outside and they knew something was wrong because they were forced to stay outside and no one would tell them anything for a while. Eventually, the news was broke and everyone was visibly upset. In the office, Chiquita's purse was dumped out on the floor and her Gucci wallet was missing. However, the cops were almost positive that this wasn't a robbery. That's because... She was still wearing some very expensive jewelry, including diamond earrings and her wedding ring. If whoever killed Chiquita was interested in robbing the place, those would have been some of the first things that were taken. I mean, they were visible valuables. So, if it wasn't a robbery, then who would have done this? Initial thoughts were that maybe it was someone that Chiquita represented. Her clients included people of all walks of life, including killers, drug dealers, and even gang members. That, plus, it was pretty well known that Chiquita herself, she was a tough woman. She had a bit of a temper and she was very strong-minded, but she was also very confident and she stood up for herself and for her clients. Now, this will be no surprise to those of us who are really true crime fans, but whenever someone's found murdered, the first thing police do is try to rule out the people that were closest to the victim. And in this case, that was Chiquita's husband, Greg. They brought Greg down to the station and they wanted to see if he had any information that would be valuable to them. So, the first and most important question was, when was the last time that he saw his wife? And it turns out that he had just saw her the night before the body was found. According to Greg, Chiquita called him about 7 p.m. asking that he bring her some food to the office. She had a lot of work left and it was going to be a long night for her. So Greg stopped by and grabbed some McDonald's and he took it to her at the office. When he got there, he not only gave her the food, but he also did a little errand for her. One of her clients was coming by to drop off some money, so Greg went downstairs and got the money from her. And since the office required a badge or some kind of key to get in, and Greg didn't have this, obviously, when he walked out of the building to meet the client, he couldn't let the door close behind him or he wouldn't be able to get back in. So he got a book and he propped the door open. He went out and he collected the $75 payment from this client 
and he also ended up getting some paperwork from her. He went back into the building, went back up to Chiquita's office, and took her the items he had collected, and at about 8.30 p.m., he left, and he went back home. George's story would be corroborated by the woman who dropped off the money, and she confirmed that it was, in fact, Greg who met her downstairs. And there were also two other attorneys who worked in the building, and they said, yeah, they saw Greg put the book in the door to prop it open. But they also said, when Greg left, the book wasn't removed. A few hours after Greg left Chiquita's office, her missing Gucci wallet was found. The night that Chiquita was murdered, a woman found the wallet on Gardier Lane, which is a high crime area of town. All of Chiquita's credit cards were still inside this wallet. And the woman who found the wallet actually recognized the name when she opened it up and saw that Chiquita was the one who was the owner. Chiquita had come and spoke at her son's school before, so she really just wanted to make sure that she got the wallet back to its owner. She was a good Samaritan who turned it in, having no idea that Chiquita was dead. The wallet was found about 10.30 p.m., and Greg left Chiquita's office about 8.30. So within a two-hour time frame, Chiquita was murdered. Cops also found out that Greg's night wasn't exactly all peace and quiet when he got home. Someone came and shot up his house like bullets spraying through the house. Greg's father, Silver Harris, told Dateline, quote, Someone came up to his bedroom window about 3.40 in the morning and shoots into the bedroom window five times with a 10 millimeter gun hoping that he, Greg, was in the bed. It just so happened that Greg fell asleep on the sofa. God saved him. He was not in the bed. End quote. Once the news started to spread about Chiquita's murder, calls to the tip line started to flow in. One of the calls came from a woman named Amber, who said that a lady named Sherilyn had been bragging about being involved in this case. Sherilyn was one of Chiquita's clients, and according to Amber, they were involved in a three-way lesbian relationship with Sherilyn's girlfriend, Gladys. Cops were able to track down Sherilyn and her girlfriend, Gladys, and they questioned both of them separately at their home. Both of their stories were consistent. Sherilyn said that Chiquita had represented her in a child adoption case, which is how she knew Chiquita. Gladys confirmed that in her interview as well, and both women spoke very highly of Chiquita with not a bad thing to say about her. They fully denied having any type of romantic involvement with her, and when the cops searched the home, they didn't find any wigs. Yep, I said wigs. So remember when I told you that Chiquita had pieces of hair clutched in her fist when they found her body? Well, it turns out When they tested that hair, they found that it was actually synthetic hair from a wig. Cops believed the women, and by now, they were thinking that they had just wasted their time with the ladies. But they weren't just about to sit back and take this ill. They only got to these women because of this very detailed tip from a caller named Amber. So why would this caller give a tip with the descriptive details? 
if they were all false. They didn't know yet, but they were about to find out. Cops were granted a court order to trace Amber's cell phone. Cops were granted a court order to trace the call that came from Amber's cell phone. The phone trace led them to a Cassandra Landry in Grand Prairie, Texas. Cops traveled from Louisiana to Texas to speak with Cassandra, who immediately confirmed that she was the owner of that phone. They asked who Amber was, and she said that she didn't really know any Ambers. I mean, she knew one, but that was one of her daughter's friends. Cassandra's daughter, Serena, was home at the time, so police decided to question her as well. When Serena started talking, one of the detectives recognized that it was Serena's voice that made the call to the tip line. The person who claimed that their name was Amber. When they questioned Serena about this, Serena admitted that yes, she did make the call. And she also denied the story about Chiquita being romantically involved in a relationship with Sherilyn. The next question the cops asked is how Serena even knew Chiquita. Oh, and that answer? It would lead them right back to where they started. Serena responded to that question by saying she knew Chiquita through her brother, Greg. That's right. Her brother was none other than Greg Harris, Chiquita's husband. At this point, the cops turned all of their attention to Greg. They found that the picture-perfect marriage that was painted for the two of them, it wasn't that at all. Prior to Chiquita's death, she had actually signed the lease for a new apartment. She just hadn't moved in yet. She was planning on moving out and leaving Greg. Chiquita's sister, Danita Tate, confirmed this. She would later be quoted as saying, You know... In a relationship, you have to compromise. I don't think that she was willing to do it. It was her way or no way. End quote. This wasn't the only thing that came up. Only two months prior to the couple getting married, Shakita called 911 claiming that Greg had grabbed her finger. So she took off her engagement ring and she threw it at him. Greg grabbed her by the neck and he choked her in a position to where she wasn't able to move until he let go of this chokehold. Both Chiquita and Greg would end up being arrested that night, but the charges against both of them were later dropped. Their newfound evidence led to a search warrant of Greg's home being granted. And that is where police found some wigs and hair pieces which they were later able to match to the hair that was found in Chiquita's hand at the time of her death. The most damning evidence, though, was the blood that they found. Small drops of blood were found throughout the entire home. On the lid of the Clorox bottle and a pair of sunglasses that were found in Greg's car. The sunglasses had blood from both Greg and Chiquita. Cops believed that they had him, so they brought Greg in for questioning for a second time. They asked him questions about all of the new evidence that they had come across. How was his relationship with his wife? It was great, Greg claimed. 
and denied any kind of marital problems. He admitted that there had been some issues in the past, but he said that they were working on them. Quote, we're trying to make the relationship happen, he said. Greg also claimed that the night that he couldn't get in touch with his wife, he did laundry and he used the Clorox bleach, the bleach that had the drop of blood on the lid. This was really weird because first off, who does laundry when their wife is unreachable and possibly missing? And, but I'd give him that because she's a lawyer. She, I'm sure this wasn't the first time working late. So maybe he didn't think anything of it at the time. However, he said that he was washing some khakis and a few t-shirts. Who washes khakis in bleach? Where things really started to take a turn is when after adamantly insisting that everything he had said in the first interview was true, something came out to prove that it was a lie. Greg had before said that after he left Chiquita's office that night, he went straight home. So when the cops asked Greg when the last time he visited Gardier Lane was, which remember, that's where Chiquita's wallet was found, the first thing Greg said is he hadn't been there in a while. But then the cops told him that there were highway cameras all along the route. And what do you know? His story changed. It went from him not being able to remember the last time he went to Gardier Lane to him now admitting that actually he went to Gardier Lane the same night Chiquita was murdered. In fact, he went to Gardier Lane right after he left Chiquita's office. Greg claimed that the reason he didn't mention this before is because he went to Gardier Lane to buy steroids, which was legal. In addition to this, the cops would later go on to question the guy that Greg claimed to have bought the steroids from, and he said that he never saw Greg that night, and he definitely didn't sell him any steroids. I mean, this is the word of a drug dealer, so I'm sure they wouldn't just openly implicate themselves when police came around asking questions. But either way, it confirms some holes in Greg's story. While he was there, the cops also had Greg remove his shirt and they saw scratches on his body that were consistent with Chiquita's nails digging into his skin. Greg's cell phone records from the night of Chiquita's murder showed him going to her office driving to Gardier Lane, and then driving home. After all this, the theory from the police is that Greg and Chiquita got into an argument about something while he was there, possibly him finding out that she was planning on leaving him. Greg stabbed her to death. He then took her wallet and dumped out the rest of the contents in her purse to make it look like a robbery. After that, he went and dumped the wallet on Gardier Lane to throw off the investigation. They also theorized that Greg staged the so-called shooting attack that happened at his home that night as well. To date, the murder weapon has never been found. So it's assumed that somewhere along the way, Greg disposed of it. Greg was arrested and charged with second-degree murder in 2009. 
His trial didn't come until a bit over two years after the crime occurred. The prosecution agreed with the police theory that Greg went through great lengths to cover up the murder from planting hair, which would suggest that the killer was female, dumping the wallet, and then having his sister call in a false tip pointing to female suspects. They even brought in some of Greg's ex-girlfriends to speak about how controlling he was. And with all this, Greg would receive a $60,000 payout from Chiquita's life insurance policy. The defense came in and argued that Greg, in fact, had absolutely no reason to kill anyone. Greg had way too much going for himself to kill his wife, and the story that the prosecution gave was just that, a story. After only three hours of deliberation, Greg was found guilty. He was charged with second-degree murder, but convicted on the lesser charge of manslaughter. Greg was sentenced to 40 years without the possibility of parole, which is the maximum sentence that they were able to give. You know, these stories of spouses killing spouses always get to me. I just don't get it. It is so easy to get a divorce nowadays or to find someone else that I just don't understand how someone can logically come to the conclusion that murdering someone else will just magically make their life better. And not even just someone else, like your spouse. You really don't think that if you murder your spouse that the police are not going to be all over the investigation and come for you. To this day, Greg still stands by the fact that he's innocent. And now he's saying that he believes that the real murderers were drug dealing clients of Chiquita's. Me personally, I feel very confident saying that it was Greg. It's just the only thing that makes sense. And that is the story of Chiquita Tate. After suffering such a tragic death, I hope that Chiquita is resting in peace now that Greg is behind bars. Don't forget to follow the show page on IG and stay up to date with the show. I'm thinking about doing weekly lives to speak on the cases, so let me know how you guys would feel about that. I want to make our space a lot more interactive. I've spoke to a few of you all through the DMs, and I promise it makes my day every single time knowing that there are people out there that I don't even know who enjoy the podcast. Share your thoughts, your story suggestions, or just come by and say hi. Also, make sure that you rate and you follow the show on your listening platform. The show is going to turn one years old in a few months, and now that I've gotten more comfortable with everything, I want to start expanding, so let me know what you're thinking, how you're feeling, any thoughts that you have that can make things better. I'm all ears. Until then, I hope that you all have a great week and please stay cool out there. It's hot. I'll be back next week to tell you another story about a minority. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seasoned Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.